Well, good morning to everyone. It's great to have you here, and, and I mean that oh sincerely. Um, it's been one of those days for me. You've had them before, and what I'm going to say to you, you're probably going to say, if that's it, that's the only thing you faced, boy, you're doing really well. And it's true. Um, I got up this morning to print out my sermon, and I found out I was out of ink. So I ran to the church real quickly. Not too bad, you know, five minutes, six minutes to church. And the uh, printer wasn't synced to the Wi-Fi. And so I tried to figure it out with all my techie skill. And I was like, forget it. And I called Heather, what's the number? 65, ran to Walmart. I got two cartridges. But of course, they were locked away because we could steal those. So um, I, and I'm sitting there going, oh, are you serious? I just want to have breakfast, coffee, prayer, and ready, you know? And uh, I met a guy named Eric who was there helping me get the ink. And, and I said, yeah, this is really obviously a great time to come to Walmart here in Powdersville. Yeah, it's the lull before they let out a church. I was like, really? Yeah, I agree. It probably is that way. I'm actually getting ink to print my sermon. He's like, oh, old school, huh? I was like, oh, yeah, I guess. Because, you know, you should really try digital. It would work a lot better for you. I said, I, I've done that before, but I kind of like printing it and having hard copy in front of me and stuff. And uh, um, he said, great. Because, you know, my wife and I just moved into the area about a year ago, and we're looking for a church. What, tell me about your church. I said, well, right over at D1 and told him some more, and I said, if you're ever off, we'd love to have you come. He goes, man, I really appreciate that. So I see a divine appointment in the ink, in the Wi-Fi, and, and, um, and then I come here, and um, I'm informed by our lovely pastoral assistant, Jonathan Clater, and I was reminded of how much of a blessing it is to have him here helping us support all, so many things that we do. He said, Jason, your PowerPoint is not on Proclaim. It's like all white, the first section of it. I'm like, oh, that's a problem. I need to go back and sync that. So I jumped in my car and ran home again. And, um, and as I'm coming back, I was blessed to see the youth group all mobilized to go. They're going up into the mountains to, for fellowship and prayer and Bible study. And then to see the sea of the rest of you joining me and coming in at 929. Because <laughs> that's a lot of us that showed up. And, and listen, I, I really sincerely mean this. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for making this a priority, to come and worship God. I'm reminded of the blessing of the AV team, willing to work through all of that. Um, John Hollyfield, who's doing a ton of different things, giving me a couple bottles of water so I'm ready to go, all energized. These things I take for granted way too, too often. And I guess there, there's this part of me that's reflective as I look at the number of weeks left that I have with you, that we have with you. If you didn't know this, May 16th is our send-off Sunday. So that's five weeks if you count this week, or four weeks if you don't count this week. For the college students that are here, I get two more Sundays with you, and I'm looking forward to those, both of those times. We're going to hear testimonies from the college students on that last of the two um, to hear senior testimonies, and so, so looking forward to hearing what God's done in and through your lives here at PBC. But you know, it's, it's kind of a sobering reality. And I'm looking at the book of Ephesians, and I'm like in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. There's a bigger section to cover, all the way to the end of chapter 6. So I wanted to relieve your pressure to note that I don't think I'll be able to get through all of it. I'll do my best. We have still some things to cover as we're going forward. Next week, we get to talk about what it means to train men for ministry and to do more of the going. And we're going to have an ordination service for Pastor Ralph Grunling. And so I'm going to preach at that and talk to you about what that all means in Scripture. And we'll have an opportunity. Uh, there's a council meeting this Saturday, if you want to join us, from 9 to 12, over at 620 Powdersville, Maine. You can join us 
review his doctrine, ask him questions at the end. You, you think, is that's not how I want to spend my Saturday morning? Fine, that's fine. But for those of us that want to, right, pastors, and hopefully some deacons, right? Okay, for those of us that want to, it's going to be a great opportunity, but it is a blessing to see God, his hand on Pastor Ralph's life and getting you to that point. This has been years, but I'll save that for next week. So I bring up all of this to you to say that I'm grateful that you're here, and I want to invite you to jump back in with me to the book of Ephesians and look at chapter 5. Because I do think that meeting up with Eric was providential because he asked about the church, tell me about the church, and I really want to address two questions or answer two questions today in the scope of time I have with you here at the worship service and then during Equip. This one, worship service, I want to help you understand what should you look for in a spirit-filled congregation. And I'm going to summarize it into three general points, but I'm going to focus in on worship. Okay, because from verses 19 through 21, there's a clear emphasis on the idea of worship. So I'm talking about worship through our singing, through Bible reading, through our preaching. It's all encompassing. But I am going to spend more time talking about the singing aspect of it, just so that you're aware. But I am very in tune with the fact that worship is more than just singing songs, okay? But that's what this text is going to address, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. So I really want to kind of address that. And, and it answers the question that Eric was asking me, you know, what, what type of church is it? And I had a guy power wash my house yesterday, and Big Mike is his name. And he was telling me how he's at a certain church in the area, and he loves it. He goes, it's like a rock concert. I just love it. I said, he goes, you like music like that, right? I'm like, I do enjoy music, but I think we're talking two different languages. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a difference between, and, and I started to explain it, but then I realized, you know, I have 20 minutes to get to this wedding that I need to go to and conduct. So, Mike, look, i got to follow up with you later about the music conversation. I'm preaching on it tomorrow. You can tune in if you want to. So, Mike, if you're listening, this is for you too. Okay. But I want you to understand that answering the question, how do you know when you come to Palmetto Baptist Church that this is a good church? Like, I want to stay here. I want to come. I want to grow. I want to connect. And I want to go from this ministry. I want to address that question. And for all of us that are already here, we bought in, we're members. I want us to evaluate how are we doing. And I think it fits into that category of the come. The coming is what is it like to come to our church when it comes to the worship aspect of our ministry, okay? The second question I want to address that's going to take place during the equip time is what should you look for in your next senior pastor? What should you look for? I think it's an opportunity for me Joe Daniels, thank you for the suggestion to take the chance to teach the congregation what you should look for. So if you, with this long introduction, have taken time to download my notes, don't be overwhelmed. I have 14 pages of notes, but they include both Sunday morning worship service and equip all combined together, okay? So I won't cover all 14 right now, and I'll refer to a bunch of different things, but it's, it's a way for you to follow and, and have a guide in the whole process. So let's warm up a little bit to around the fire of ancient Ephesus. Do you even know why we're studying this book? I want to remind you. Ten facts you may not know about Ephesus. Ephesus was the most important commercial center in the Roman province of Asia. It's kind of like New York City, or, or you could say Hong Kong. Because of its size, location, and influence, Paul planted 
the church in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. So Paul was the one God used to start the ministry. Paul stayed and pastored that church longer than any other church he was at. He was there for three years. Timothy was the next pastor. We see that in 1 Timothy 1.3 when Paul urged him, I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. It could be that uh, it could, if you could write one letter to your children, I love this aspect, if you were to write one letter before you leave to your children or grandchildren of all your cherished beliefs, what would you say? The letter to Ephesians is Paul's quintessential. It is the most important things that he wants to pass on to his offspring. And I'm talking in a spiritual sort of way. So it's very packed with rich theology. Other great men have pastored this church. The Apostle John pastored this church. I'm talking about the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Yes, even the guy who was taken off the Isle of Patmos, which is an island just off the coast of Ephesus, and ended up writing the book of Revelation. He pastored this church. In Revelation, what is the first church that he pokes at? The church he pastored, the church in Ephesus and their lack of understanding love from the right perspective. John was buried in Ephesus around 100 AD, and they actually built a chapel around that, around his tomb. This is a significant book with significant meaning. So I want you to view it from maybe going back to that big word, the Paul's quintessential letter. It is what he's trying to pour into the church. And that's important to understand that a lot of times when we read this book, we think about what does it mean to me? And we miss the whole church aspect or the corporate nature, okay? So what I want to help you understand is that the pronouns are plural. The verbs are plural. So if you look down with me at Ephesians 5, you'll notice in verse 15, we've just read this together. Look carefully then how you walk. The look is given uh, to everyone in the church, you, plural, how you walk. We usually take it, and I preach the application of Do you know and understand God's will? And how do we discern God's will? I think those are great principles for us to reflect on. But one of the key indicators of a spirit-filled church is a church that happens to know and follow God's moral will. If you look at what is God's moral will, it's laid out for us in Scripture. Are we doing and becoming what God intends for our church to do and become? And we also see that this church is one who is in the process, it says, making the best use of its time. Are we making the best use of the opportunities in front of us and the resources, the people in our church? I can tell you we can do a better job of it. We're trying hard to go to that area, but I want to also want you to know that this is something you should look for in a church. Do they care about what God cares about? Do they care about people and employing them into the ministry that God has given us with the many amazing opportunities in front of us? And we see a spirit-filled church that's clear-minded in its thinking. It knows it's not controlled by an outside substance. Be not drunk with wine. Where is is debauchery? Again, the plural nature of that. A church who is spirit-filled knows where it's going and is clear in its communication. We try to do that with the Come, Grow, Connect, Go. Okay, to let you know that if you come here, there's a process in which we want to see you grow in your disciple-making, become more like Jesus Christ. But then we're left with this list of descriptions about being filled with the Spirit. The idea of being filled with the Spirit is a beautiful picture that often is confused. So please look with me at what it says here in verse 18. 
Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I told you this before, that the filling with the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit. And I have a little paragraph in there in my notes that I want to encourage you to look at at some point to understand that the Spirit is the agent that does the filling, but you're filled up with Jesus. Okay, and Jesus in you gets summarized this way. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by what would Jesus do. So I'm constantly thinking of myself, in this situation, as I'm facing these frustrations, what would Jesus do in trying to respond in that way, empowered by the Holy Spirit making it possible? So a Spirit-filled church is asking the questions, what would Jesus do in this setting, and, and how would he respond to these challenges, and are we doing that? Are we yielding to God in this way? And he lays it out for us then in this connection to this idea of listen, because if you listen to a congregation, you're going to know how closely they are filled with the Spirit. So with that in mind, and with a couple brief statements about worship, I want you to notice where we're going to go here today. Marks of a Spirit-filled worship service. A Spirit-filled worship service will be congregational, biblical, inspirational. You're like, it's all alliterated. Yes, it is. Doxological and relational. Now you say, where in the world did you get those? Those aren't three points in a poem. No, I know. Partly because I want you to see that I think this is what the text teaches us, but to help you understand where I got this from, look at your Bible or notice up on the screen, you'll see following the participles, the I-N-G words will help us. We'll find five of them here grouped into groups of four, and it starts out with this word addressing, and then we have this concept of singing and making melody. So it says here, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, and then it talks about giving thanks, and then finally it gives the reference to submitting. And it's from these participles that we're going to understand and unpack the truths of what's going on here. So let's start with this first one. A spirit-filled congregation or worship service will be congregational. So a spirit-filled worship service will be congregational. So using this first participle, congregational means addressing one another. Just simply that term, addressing one another, is helpful for us as we consider what this means. The phrase addressing literally means to speak to say, to talk, or to tell. And I thought it was somewhat interesting, and as I wrestled through this text, is this talking about the writing of music, because, or is it talking about the chanting of music, because it doesn't say singing and making melody, that's to come. Here it says addressing one another. So someone can address another by writing it down, you can also address one another by speaking it out. I think it has something more to do with the type of lyrics that we're looking at and ex expecting to communicate a message. And so there, there's something about proclaiming the truth, but I want you to note the congregational side of this, addressing one another. So it's not just me just talking out aimlessly like I see a lot of people on the street yelling at somebody. <laughs> no one's around them, but they're just screaming, but they're listening to something, and you're wondering, are they high? What's going on? But they're screaming. We're actually supposed to address, speak, to one another in a very specific way, in a biblical way, which we're going to see psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But as you consider the one another, do you know that there are over a hundred one another passages in the New Testament? Most of them are positive, some of those are negative. 
we see a one another repeated in our text in verse 21, submitting to one another, but the one another is including loving one another. This is the, the command used the most frequently in the New Testament, over 16 times, and I've included all 100 references as a guide for those of you that are interested in a fresh start in your family worship or your personal worship. If you'd like to add something to what you're already doing in your own personal worship, I want to encourage you to take one of these one another passages and just reflect on it and talk about it together, addressing one another in these sort of ways. This is what a good church should do. But I do, again, emphasize the congregational nature. Why corporate worship? Here's some reasons. Corporate for worship, God redeemed us for corporate worship. Throughout history, God has been intent on gathering many worshipers. That's been his desire. He created not just one person, but many. He redeemed not just one, but many. So at the end of the age, there will be a vast throng of people worshiping him in Revelation 5, 9 through 14. Where did all these people come? This was God's intent from the very beginning. He wants gatherings, large gatherings. God demands our worship. God does not make worship optional. We'll worship something. We must worship God. Everyone in here is a worshiper, but it's what are you worshiping? He demands it, Psalm 96, 9, Matthew 4, 10. He commands for worship. However, they are not cries of a megalomaniac. It's just, look at me, you've got to worship me. But you have to understand, he is saying, worship me, you've got to worship me. But it's not because he's arrogant, but because he is the highest possible object of anyone's pleasure and of anyone's adoration. I can't say that. Worship me, that would be a very, very bad thing to say. You'd know why, and you wouldn't do it anyway. People try to do it all the time. When God does it, sometimes it rubs us the wrong way, but I want you to know that he is the highest standard, and he commands it. And I know that when you hear me say he commands it, it, there's this tendency to say, no, I don't think I want anyone telling me what to do. But I want you to understand this. There's such joy in submitting and standing in awe and reverence of our great God. Realizing how small we are. Maybe you need a good dose of Job 38 through 41. God fulfills our joy through corporate worship. Not only does he command it, he encourages us to have joy. And joy comes from that. When God demands worship, he is making us focus on the only one who completely satisfies our souls. And I want you to know, he satisfies And we have verses here, Psalm 1611, 63.3. Those are in your notes. I want you to know he satisfies and God edifies believers through corporate worship. There is this joy that we get in gathering together for this purpose at least once a week. And that's what we're doing currently. And there is actually a reason why you choose to come even if you show up late. We love you. We're so glad you're here. If you show up early, we love you. We're so glad you're here. If you forget to show up for chairs set up on Saturday night, we still love you, and we're still glad you're here. We just wish you'd show up. And um, chair setup continues to be a challenge, by the way. But why do we set up chairs? We set up chairs so that the corporate body can worship. You, You get that? It's all connected. AV is all set up not because it has to look a certain way in order for us to get connected with God, but it enhances the opportunity for us to come in together and worship God. Now, notice the circumstances of worship, and this is just something I just want you to understand. It's not limited to a specific time, a specific day, or a place. You say, well, it's Sunday. I think that's when we're supposed to worship. That is the optimal time to reflect the fact that Jesus rose again on Sunday. 
So I think if you had an option out of all the days in the week, picking Sunday is a good idea. But if you can't worship on Sunday for a variety of reasons, it doesn't mean your worship is not legitimate. If because of space or limitations of buildings, you have to worship on a Saturday, God is still glorified with that. And I know of many different ethnic groups that are unable to worship on Sundays because they're in the restaurant business because that's the only thing they could get coming into the country. And so Monday becomes the day of worship. And we shouldn't judge people based on their timing of selection of days of worship. But we do worship on Sunday on purpose because we can. And I think that would be the preferred day to worship. But let's not get so hung up. Look at Colossians 2 when it talks about days. Not limited to one style of music. You have a preference. I know you do. Because I have them. But it's not limited to one. Okay, and it's not restricted to the use of aids such as PowerPoint. I rushed home to get the PowerPoint because I just think it enhances what I'm trying to do. But on the other hand, if I didn't have it, as Josh said to me as I walked in, you, uh, Jason, I thought you were going to go old school on me. I'm like, well, apparently I've already been called old school at Walmart. Now again, I'm getting a message here. In no restrictions regarding types of instruments. None whatsoever. And I've been through that with you about two years ago. We talked about it, about percussive instruments do not equate to wrong. I can tell you that you could play the piano in a way that's worldly and fleshly. You could play the drums in a way that's worldly and fleshly. You could play a, um, whatever instrument we have, guitars up here. I'm a harp, world, play a harp, I guess. I, yeah, yes. You could do that even with a harp. And here's my point. It's not about the instrument. It's about the, the attraction to God and not a distraction from God. And, and so all of these are true. And in the application, just from that first phrase, addressing one another, I want you to understand that our preference when we come, and the reason why you don't hear special music or testimonies of worship, individual people singing, or some sort of that way, but you see congregational singing, it's because it is a preference that we have to have the congregation gathered together to worship. This is on our website, if you didn't know where I got that picture from. Have you ever wondered why we don't have people up here with a mic singing? Well, it's not because we believe it's morally wrong. That's not it at all. I have been blessed richly by those that would share a solo or duet or quartet or whatever. That's not the point. The point is the rare times we gather together, we want it to be one anothering together as a congregation. That's why we're doing it. I wanted to explain that to you. Notice the next one. A spirit-filled worship service will be biblical. So we're addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now this is an interesting one because when the verse speaks of Christians addressing one another in such a way, the thought is that the fullness of the Spirit will find manifestation in fellowship whenever Christians are found together. They will be given joyful expression in song. And so I want to start with this idea that there is some aspect of singing going on. That's our next participle, singing and making melody. But if we're addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual, psalms, spiritual songs, it seems to imply that there's some sort of singing going on. And there has been debate over the centuries, should we sing songs in church? I know you see our application, we believe we should, but some biblical manifestations, a number of New Testament passages like Acts 16.25, Paul and Silas in jail, or 1 Corinthians 14.26, Colossians 3.16, James 5.13 indicate the place of song in the early church. But as we look at each of these types of words, psalms, 
hymns, and spiritual songs. This is the variety in which we're supposed to express ourselves in corporate worship. So let me put it to you as simply as possible. Psalmos, that's what the word is. Go back to the Old Testament and you have 150 songs that you could pick from. Those are psalms. And the, here, the author, Paul, is saying, address one another singing psalms, which there are so many varieties of psalms out there that we could sing. I don't think it's limited to the book of psalms alone because you see other aspects of psalms from Luke 1, 46 through 55. That's Mary singing the Magnificat, and she's reflecting on the words of Hannah as she was praying and reflecting on God's goodness to her. Um, we see other words are hymns. What are hymns? Well, the best way to describe this, if you have your Bible open, is look up at verse 14 of Ephesians 5. I'm going to show you a hymn. A hymn, hymnos, so we have psalmnos, or psalmos, and hymnos. It's a, a classic, in classic Greek, was a festive lyric in praise of a god or a hero. We have already seen this possibly in other aspects, but look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's a hymn. That's a hymn of praise reflecting on the work of Jesus. And so this hymn is one that is interesting because it is calling the church to wake up which to me, it speaks of, again, the possibility that Paul understood that the church will be comprised, should be comprised of born-again, baptized believers, but many times will be comprised of born-again, or or people who think they're born-again, and they've been baptized, but truly they're not saved, and there's a cry, awake, O sleeper. And, And hymns, when we're singing songs, should work on our hearts to say, am I really connected to that God the way those people around me are connected? Because it seems like they're really connected. I'm just kind of going through the motions. And I want you to know that what we believe here at Palmetto Baptist Church is that God is alive, he is real, Jesus Christ loves you and died for you and rose again. He offers you hope, he offers you peace, and you need to run to him. Come to him. You can come to him right now while I'm preaching. You just need to say, Lord, I'm done running away from you. I want to run to you. He will save you. And I want you to feel that when we're singing our songs. He is a great God. He is worthy of all salvation. I've given you several lists um, for you to look at again. And I I, I love looking at Christian hymns throughout the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It's just rich with theology. The interesting thing to me is that this third category of spiritual songs, this is interesting because to me, I had the hardest time finding examples for you of a spiritual song in the Bible. So I can find... 150 psalms, and I can show you when Mary was singing from Samuel, I can show you hymns all throughout the New Testament, but when it comes to spiritual songs, I get a little stuck, at least I did in my own research of this. Maybe you could help me with this. So it led me to think a couple questions, I could think through a couple things. Um, this is, could be, just the generic way of a catch-all miscellaneous. When you come to church, make sure you have rich psalms, you have some good theology with hymns, and that you have spiritual songs, which is all the others. Okay. Um, that still left me a little dry. And I thought maybe the spiritual songs deals with this idea in the word spiritual has the spirit in it. 
So if you have palmas, hymnos, pneumatikos, so it's all alliterated, just want to point that out, okay? And here you have the spirit-driven songs, and I think it has to do with testimonials. This is what God is doing in my heart, and I want to share. So this is what God's done in the nation of Israel. This is what he's doing through the resurrection of Jesus. That would be hymns, so psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. This is what, he do, what he's doing in my life. It's making it personal. And I was struck with the fact that most of our modern songs that are written are in this category of spiritual songs. And I just want you to think with me about this. We need more songwriters today that will go back and write psalms or put psalms to music or take some of the rich theology, kind of like Chris Anderson has done. Why is that so attractive? Because he takes time to break down justification and sanctification and regeneration. These words that people say, oh, we shouldn't use those anymore because the church doesn't understand them. I think the church doesn't understand them because we don't use them and explain them. And one of the best ways to explain something is through a song. I have so many songs in my head uh, in, in rich theology that is taking scripture and putting it to music. And some of you, we have a, a bunch of people who are gifted musically. You may be sitting in the very back row on the bleachers and you're gifted in music. I want to encourage you to put that gift to use to bless the body. We need much more of that. And I actually know that some of it's going on and I want to encourage those of you that are currently actually writing songs and working on this. You've got to kind of put yourself out there when you do this. You've got to say, I'm not doing it for my own glory. I'm doing it for the, good of God, the glory of God and the good of the body. And I'm going to try. Sometimes you're going to flop and it's not going to work. But in the end, it's not about you. It's about God. Um, I wrote down a list of songs that I, I thought were very much spiritual songs that I think are, are, resonate with us. Some, things like Reckless Love or How He Loves or At the Cross, uh, Love Ran Red, or Your Love Never Fails, Your Love Awakens Me, The Hands of the Potter. All these are songs we might relate with and resonate, but how about if I started talking about the one we sang today, How Great Thou Art. Does that resonate with you? Okay, some of you absolutely. Oh, 4,000 tongues to sing? I mean, I could keep going, and I want to encourage you to think about this, that in times I think we get out of balance if we, we need to take that, that, bring that car into the shop and get realigned. Are we really glorifying God in our corporate worship? And if we are, we're going to try. And, and this is not, this is, I'm just trying to encourage us to think biblically. This is not a slam on those that have been selecting music here. They work really hard and we try to coordinate with what I'm preaching on and what we're singing. And I think you can see that in today's service particularly and in others. So those that, I'm not ripping on you guys at all. I'm just saying we need to keep this in our minds that we are going to be a church that is spirit-filled by having that type of appropriate balance. One last thing before the kids get dismissed. Thank you, kids, for hanging on with me. It should be inspirational. And where do I get that from? Well, we have the words singing and making melody. Um, I love these two words, singing here. And all of these are, are present active participles except for the submission one. The submitting is, is a passive participle, but more on that later. It's to utter words and praise and melodic pattern. Um, this idea of making melody is the idea of instruments that supports the song. So if you're ever wondering for justification for instruments in the worship service, here you have it. Singing and making melody. The word making melody is actually the word 
psalantas, which is the idea of psalms, and it is, again, an active plural participle to sing songs of praise with the possible implication of instrumental accompaniment. I thought that was interesting. It was helpful, because I've heard that debate. We shouldn't use um, instruments. It never resonated with me, because when I looked in the Old Testament, they used all sorts of instruments. But then the argument was, you don't find it in the New Testament. You know, the two instruments you find in the New Testament specifically mentioned that I can remember is the idea of a trumpet and a harp. I don't see either of those. We have guitars up here, but I don't see a trumpet up here. And I've heard trumpet, that's not good congregational. But those are the two mentioned. So I don't think those are the only one that are prescribed to the church, but there is an openness to all sorts of different instruments. But my emphasis here is that I want you to know a spirit-filled congregation is going to, a a spirit-filled worship service is congregational. It's going to be one that's biblical. We're thinking about what does the Bible have to say and apply to our own hearts. And it's done by singing and making melody. There is a joy side in this, isn't there? There should be. It shouldn't be like, our God is a great God. He reigns. We should actually be, this is, God, you are amazing. I've tried to describe this in my mind when I struggle to get connected with the, the, the blessing of being at worship service. I want to encourage you to visualize the throne of God right in front of you. And stop worrying about people around you, but visualize you're, you're worshiping your great God. You're coming back. And as we're doing that, then listen. Hey, yep, that guy's a little off, but man, he loves Jesus. <laughs> He's making a joyful noise to the Lord. Oh, that, that person can really sing. I'm not, I'm not distracted, but I'm encouraged. But if we have deadness, and it's a gym football field, it's easy to have deadness of sound in here. So let's proclaim, right? If you go to 620, which we're going to have a chance to do, at least we're going to try to start there on Wednesday nights in the month of May. We're taking a break from our community groups so that we can come together and pray together. It's something we try to do every single spring to give the host families a break, to rejoin together. If we pack that out, I've already heard word from the pastor of Siloam Baptist that he'll allow us to use their auditorium and their fellowship hall on Thursday nights. And I'm not trying to confuse you. We're going to start with Wednesday night, first Wednesday in May. But if you're in that 620 Powdersville, man, it resonates when you sing. We should be joyful, but notice this word, with all your hearts. A heart is the seat of your emotion. This is often described as your mind, your intentions, your purposes, your desires. We are to be all in. And who are we singing to? To the Lord, the master, Curios. He's in charge. I worship you because there is none like you. And I'm telling you, if we engage in this level of worship, people are going to come in and they're going to say, I want to come back here. Whatever is going on here, God is there and I need that. And that is the greatest testimony that we're going to have in Powdersville. I'll come up with the last two. I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to come back up and give you the last two parts of this message as we understand what it means to give thanks and to submit. Let's ask God to bless us as we Continue now to sing, and I've given you a lot of pointers on how we should sing now in just a little bit. I've coached you up, right? And I want to encourage you to do this with sincerity of heart. So we have considered these marks of a, of a spirit-filled corporate worship congregational, so it's, it's addressing one another 
And I, I'm wondering if that has to do with the songwriting I was trying to describe. I know at least it's speaking it out in the types of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and that means it's biblical, and it's got to come from our hearts, so it's inspirational. It's not just a dead type of thing, but we're singing and making melody. That means we're, we're excited, we're happy about being here, right? The last two I want us to look at is this idea of what it means to give thanks, and I'm going to put that in the category of doxological, because it tells us exactly whom we're supposed to give thanks to, Okay. And then we're going to look at this idea of relational when it comes to submission. So this last phrase here in verse 20, giving thanks, and I want you to note these specific words, giving thanks always and for everything. It's the same Greek word said twice, giving thanks all for all. That doesn't leave any room for, for some, because the other part is, ignore, is, is, um, is uh, sorry, bothersome to me or really frustrating to me but I'm supposed to give thanks always for everything that comes my way and to look at it from God's vantage point, not my own. And too many times I look at everything from my vantage point, how things go wrong and it just really frustrates and actually God's doing a work and if I would just submit to him and find out that he's moving, that's a good thing. Are you thankful for everything in every situation and who are we supposed to be thankful to? Well, it tells us to be thankful to God the Father. So here we learn that he is the chief God among all gods. He is the one true God who actually cares for you as a father cares for his children. So you're looking at him and thinking of the words, Abba, Father. You really care for me. I thank you, Abba, Father, for caring for me. And notice it's specifically to God the Father, in the name, based on, the name is not just that we repeat this beautiful name of Jesus. Lord, Master, Savior, Jesus, Christ, Messiah. Lord, Jesus, Christ. I think it was Heston, one of our church planners that was here, that said Jesus' first name is not Jesus and last name is Christ. They actually are descriptions of who he is. He's in charge. He loves you enough to save you, and he's the one that God promised would come. So we give thanks to our Father, who is the King of all kings, the God of all gods, based on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's powerful. And, and if we think of all of life in that little frame, it makes everything else that's happening to us just seem strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. It makes cancer, as difficult as it is, seems strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. The loss of loved ones, as some in our congregation have experienced recently, is nothing compared to being connected again with God the Father and the fact that he loves you enough to send Jesus to die for you and to rise again. And any of you that have projects due or some sort of deadlines at work, this puts it all into proper perspective. Now, that's personal, right? And I want to remind ourselves that this text is to the church, so it's saying that corporately, we are, when we're singing, we're, we're together saying, I'm just going to give thanks to God because you are so amazing and you sent Jesus. And so you should leave every Sunday saying, you know what, I'm saved. And, and, and I have the power in me because of Jesus to say no to sin and yes to him. That's powerful. And we're singing this together. I couldn't help but think of the category I often find myself in which is, I'm thankful, right? But I don't stop to express it. Like when someone does something nice or kind, 
I'll think to myself, that was nice, that was kind, and I'll mean that, like in my heart, that's where my heart is, but I don't ever tell them. And it reminded me of the 10 lepers. And the one leper that returned, the one that returned was the Samaritan, and there's all sorts of lessons connected to this. But I found this illustration that I thought it might help you see that we need to be like the one who returns, understanding the beauty of the connection that has been given to me as the Samaritan leper who was healed understood. Here's some reasons. Why did one cleansed leper return to thank Jesus? The following are nine suggestions or suggested reasons why the nine did not return. This is from a guy named Charles L. Brown, content, the newsletter. One waited to see if the cure was real. Uh, One waited to see if it would last. One said he would see Jesus later. One decided that he had never had leprosy. One said he would have gotten well, well anyway. One gave the glory to the priests. One said, oh, well, Jesus didn't really do anything. One said any rabbi could have done it. And one said, I was already much improved. I, I think we come to church sometimes thinking, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing. I showed up. I mean, of course God's going to bless me. Instead of in humility saying, oh, God, you are so great. I thank you for all things in every situation. And if you are in that situation, as I'm preaching this right now, and you are a complainer, right? Join the group. This is something I struggle with. Grumble, grumble, grumble. We just murmur, murmur, murmur over every little thing. And what we really need is godliness with contentment, 1 Timothy 6.12, which happens to be great gain. And start to see, God is doing a work around me. I need to just acknowledge it and praise him for it. And that's what we need to do as a congregation. So as people complain, take it to the cross, right? And then take it to the throne, through the cross. So what I mean, instead of making it sound so, whatever, bumper sticker, this is what I'm saying. As people complain to you, listen, and then say, can I pray with you about that? So you're not just sharing, well, this, you had a bad week? Well, I had a bad week. Well, you did, well, mine's a better week than your week was. Oh, really? Um, how about, you know, that's, that's rough. I've had some things go on too. Here's my deal. Can we pray about it? Are you doing that in your community groups? I hope so. I know my community group that I'm a part of faithfully prays and takes time to break into groups to talk about what's going on in your life. Okay, someone pray for that. And it takes a little bit of time. And we're not always done at eight o'clock. But it's really good. We need to be a church that's doing that. Here's the last one. A spirit-filled worship service will be relational. I want you to see where I get this idea of relational. The relational side, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So spirit-controlled believers are to submit to one another. Willingly give up their rights for the good of another. This word submission becomes a big deal because it's followed in verse 22, talking about the wife should submit to her husband, and we're all familiar with that if we've been to any weddings, and you're like, that's the role of the wife, and the husband's supposed to love and lead and learn and all this stuff. But we don't think about it when it comes to the church and worship services. We're actually supposed to submit to one another, every one of us. Every one of my premarital surveys that I give out to those couples that I'll do premarital uh, counseling with, I'll ask the question, what do you do with the passages in Scripture that says that you should submit to each other? And I ask it in such a way, should the husband ever submit to his wife? And every time I get the response, no, 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 no. The husband never submits to his wife. Because the, the wife is supposed to submit to the husband. And then I, I use that as an opportunity. Hey, let's look at Ephesians 5.21. 
And it says we're supposed to submit to one another. Now, there's a role in which you have to fulfill in a marriage relationship of submission and respect and love and leading and all of that stuff. But actually, we would do well to submit to one another. And how do we do it in the context of PVC? Well, before we ask that question, we need to ask the question, what was Paul getting at? Submitting to one another. I'm going to suggest to you these words. Multi-ethnic. You're like, oh, that's convenient. No, it's actually Ephesians 2 and 3, Jews, Gentiles becoming one new people. Multi-ethnic. Multi-generational. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, and it talks about fathers not provoking your children. There's a generational thing going on here. And there is this idea of multivocational. I'm going to add that in. In chapter 6, we have examples of verses 5 through 9, a master and a servant, and there is a multivocational. Do you understand that in this, this church in Ephesus, there would be a slave there worshiping with his or her master? And Paul was trying to communicate this We're all equal at the foot of the cross. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, bond or free, male or female. Galatians 3.27, we're all one in Christ. It doesn't get rid of the roles, it just helps us understand that we're all image bearers of God. When we come to church, we need to view it in that context, through that light. And if I've just said something that makes you start thinking about, so are you a complementarian or egalitarian, which means do you believe in women pastors or, or... That's not where I'm going with this right now. And just to solve that, look at 1 Timothy 3.1. If any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. The office of pastor is reserved for the male, the man, just so that you're clear on that. But I don't want you to get distracted by that question coming up in your mind. I want you to come back to this, that what we have here is the Apostle Paul is saying we need to take time to submit to one another. How does that happen? I think it happens this way. If um, you haven't come to church some Sunday and said, I don't, why did we sing that song? Why don't we sing more hymns? I think we can continue to grow in our hymnology, our singing of psalms, spiritual songs. It, I, I mean this lovingly because I, I, I could put a mirror up and say, it's not about you. Like everyone in this church has a preference, but it's, we're not going to bow to your preference. We're going to bow to his preference. And if we're going to truly try to be multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-vocational, it means it's going to have some variety up here, more than what we currently even see. And don't get scared by that, because if we keep the main thing the main thing, which is this next one, is why are we doing this? We are submitting relationally out of reverence for Christ. We're revering him. And don't miss this. It does talk about having an awe and respect and awareness of who he is, but this is the word for fear. Like there should be a holy fear in our hearts that I'm not here just to have my way, I'm here to have your way, because you are Lord, you are master. The fear of the Lord is something that's so missing in our walk with him. And I want to challenge us, Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, listen to this phrase, for our God is a consuming fire. Now you might say, well that says God, how about Jesus? Well, let me give you why we should submit to Jesus. I think we should submit to Jesus because we see some things about Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, we understand that in Ephesians 1, 7, he is our savior, he's the savior of the church. 
He's the head of the church in Ephesians 1.22. He is the cornerstone of the church in Ephesians 2.20. He is the one who equips the church in Ephesians 4.11 through 12. And out of fear for what Christ will do if we do not follow him in Ephesians 5, 5 through 6, he will condemn you and send you to hell and pour out the full weight of God's wrath upon you if you don't submit to him. What? Yep. But you know what he did in reverse? He offered to take the full weight of God's wrath upon himself in your place. You... You can't do that. You will spend an eternity in hell. But he says, I'll do it. I'll take it all on me. But you have to choose to fear me. You have to choose me. Follow me. So here's to try to put it in summary fashion. This is quoting from Bible Knowledge Commentary. Paul then gave four results of being filled with the Spirit. Ready? Listen to this. First is communication with one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Second is communication with the Lord by singing and making melody in the heart. Church music then should be a means of believers ministering to each other and singing should be a means of worshiping the Lord. Third is thanking God the Father continually for all things. Fourth, spirit-controlled believers are to submit to one another, willingly serving others and being under them rather than dominating them and exalting themselves. But basic to Christians' attitudes towards others is their reverence, for Christ. Paul next elaborated on the subject of submission in Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9. And so I ask you these things. Are you walking in wisdom by yielding yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit? It's got to start with you, right? It's got to start with me. And then it's all of us together. So we have to be sensitive. What is the Spirit doing? I can't think of a more important time in the life of our church for us to be in tune with what does God want for our church going forward than right now. Like this is really crucial for us. So be the person who's willing to submit yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit, which, let's make it very clear, having the mind of Christ. What would Jesus do? Do you come to church as a consumer or a worshiper? We should all be worshipers, not coming as consumers. And it's very difficult at times because I can put my consumer hat on way too frequently. And I need to come in as a worshiper. And the final thing, which of the five marks of a spirit-filled church do we need to work on as a body? And I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about this body. I would love for you to reflect on and get those notes and download them. And in your community groups, before you get started talking about Esther, Ask yourself the question and talk about which of these five do we need more work on? And, and then what do we do with that? It's not about chew up whoever is doing whatever. It's about praying together and seeing how you can be a part of the solution. At the end, I've uh, included, which I won't take time to go through, but different aspects of our worship statement, a worship music statement for PBC. It's on the notes that I want to encourage you to look at. So we have a, um, a whole document that we put together on that to help you understand directions. But this is a bit of a summary. But what's God doing in your heart? Let's pray together. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, this is your chance 